Welcome, welcome to the How Humans Work podcast. I am your host, Jeff Z, Jeffrey Salaji. So glad to have you here. Season one is afoot, and we are kicking it off by exploring not just human nature, but particularly the facet of fathers and fathering, the impact and the influence they have on the lives of my guests. Hold tight, stay tuned, and listen in because we are about to journey into a series of conversations. It is incredible. Let's get into it. Let's get started. Here we go. Alexi Dosa, welcome to the How Humans Work podcast. I'm really glad you joined me today. Hey, Jeffrey. It's great to be here, and thanks so much for uh, taking the time to talk to me. Yeah. I mean, you know, for the listeners, just to know, Alexi and I know each other. We met in a yoga class, and uh, we had a fairly immediate kinship quality feeling. And as we've gotten to know each other over the past year, we not only have a lot of you know, philosophical and attitudinal commonalities, but I've gotten to know you. And I'm excited to have you here on this finding fathering journey I've been on. In fact, this is the 10th recording I'm doing as part of my season, which was my goal. So being with you today is, uh, is exciting at that level, but also because of what I've come to know about your story. Yeah, thank you. This is, uh, I think this is going to be a really fun discussion. I hope so. <laughs> I hope we have some fun. It's, uh, it's really interesting how we met. You know, the, the whole yoga thing um, was really important to me in my life, not only from the perspective of, of the experience of, of, a, of a somatic practice, but also uh, for me, when I was raising my daughter as a, as a single dad, it gave me this really uh, awesome grounding kind of experience uh, to turn to when when things were just uh, really challenging from the perspective of of work and um, and fatherhood and um, being away from home, living three thousand miles away from uh, from friends and family, and, uh, and and so anyway, yeah, the yoga practice itself, and then becoming a teacher gave me some really awesome skills to to use to navigate life as a as a single dad. How long ago did you find yoga and how did that doorway open for you? And what did yoga give you in your, as you said, uh, varied pressures? It's such a good question since the theme is, is father, fathering and fatherhood. My, uh, my heritage is, is I'm half Indian. Uh, my dad was from India. My mom was from Denmark. So I think two cultures colliding here. Um, South Asian man meets a uh, Nordic blonde haired, blue eyed woman. So when I grew up as a child uh, without a father, um, he passed away when I was at a very young age. Um, in fact, it's, it's uh, funny, I occasionally we'll pull out the, the actual accident report. Uh, he died in a car accident and, I, and I'll kind of look at it and, and from time to time because it, it does make me wonder what it would have been like to grow up with a father in my life, my actual father. But, you know, when I would, would go back and, and just kind of look at, at family history and, and that included photographs and books on the shelves, um, things like that. My dad was a, was a college professor and he had two PhDs, one in um, anthropology and one in sociology. And he was actually working on his third in economics before he passed away in this car accident. There was a picture I'll never forget. It just sticks in my mind. 
of my dad doing um, a headstand as a really young child. I asked my mom, um, Hey mom, you know, what's the story with this picture? Why is dad upside down? Why is dad upside down? Totally. <laughs> well, it's, it's a really cool answer too. So, um, you know, with his heritage being from India, yoga was, was, was part of his life too. And he had a very vigorous yoga practice, but he was doing headstands, the king of all yoga poses because he felt like he could provide a better lecture with um, the oxygenation of his brain by being upside down. And uh, so I was fascinated by that as a little kid. He was neurohacking in the 60s or 70s or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, there's um, some really interesting like newspaper articles about my dad as well, where he was going to teach you know, it, this is like these late sixties and early seventies. Um, so anyway, that, that, you know, it, it was a long way around of answering your question, but um, it, it left a, a sense of longing for me because I never really had the, the, the live conversations with my dad. Yeah. Um, and I had this rich kind of history to look at at the same time, which shaped my, my thoughts and views uh, yeah. about being a dad. Yeah, it was interesting. That is really interesting. I mean, I, I love the arc of yoga in your fathering to find something your father used. It's really beautiful. So it's not it's not too long or long way around at all. It's actually really, I'd say like a beautiful weaving of your life, just like a little nugget of that. So, so you find yoga. Yeah, well, so I find yoga as a young child, but I didn't practice. In fact, I rejected it. As a kid growing up, um, I didn't see it as being like this all-American thing to do. Mm-hmm. Here I was this product of two, you know, immigrants who immigrated here to the United States. And, you know, I'm trying to fit in and become an American kid with with a weird name, right? By the way, my name, Alexi, comes from uh, Leo Tolstoy's books. Uh, my, my dad read a lot of Russian literature. Apparently had some free time to do that too. And, uh, <laughs> wow. Anthropology, sociology, economics, and Russian literature. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so how, how old or how young was he when he passed and how old were you? He, he was 36 years old when he okay. passed a uh, car accident. You know, we uh, lost, he lost control of the car with some gravel and um, the, the accident was pretty, was bad enough to cause enough damage to, to you know, to kill him. Not immediately. He didn't die um, immediately, but there was a, a process of that that took place. And, and so that, that also leaves some longing for me, too, because my older brother was in the car and um, he doesn't talk about it so much. But I'm always trying to pry and, mm-hmm. and get some thoughts and, and ideas about what reality was when I can't remember this. Um, so, you know, I, I was, I was hurt in the accident. I was taken away. Um, my father was determined on the scene that he wasn't going to live. So, um, they took myself and a family friend who was also in the car away in the ambulance. And my, my dad was, uh, was, was presumed to not make it. So, um, they actually did take him and put him in the ambulance. Uh, he's still alive. Uh, they tried to take him to the hospital. Um, but it, it didn't work out. And you were young enough where you don't or do have memories of your father. I have two memories. Okay. Um, one memory of being in a, in a park in, in Chicago where he was, he was a college professor. We were living in, in, uh, in Chicago and, and uh, he's pushing me in a swing and um, in, in, you know, in this park. And uh, I described this memory to my mom and, and you know, everything about this park and, and the car we drove up in and, yeah. and the whole nine yards. And so she was actually quite shocked by that. And the other memory I have is, is him holding me in the bathroom 
while he's shaving. Yeah. <laughs> so, those are the only two real uh, faint memories. So you were how old when he passed? Gosh, uh, so it was August 15th, 1971. Okay. Um, I would have been about three and a half. Okay. Uh, so yeah, it's pretty early in life. That's really early. So, all right, so we could go the yoga route, but I'm also just thinking since we're right here with the, the you know, the how... Ah. How is it, how was it for you and what did you do and, and experience, you know, having such a limited impression of your father, but also having, you know, the legacy of his books and maybe the stories of your mom and maybe some stories of your older brother, like, and how did your father impact you beyond get passing the baton of yoga? Um, yeah. Yeah, such a, such a fun question to answer. So um, my mom, I'm, I'm the youngest of three, but my mom has always said, you know, son, you were the one that was supposed to follow in your dad's footsteps. And I've always said, mom, those are some awfully big footsteps to follow in when, when this guy, my father had, uh, you know, such a, um, you know, uh, you know, an education. So yeah, while I haven't pursued those types of footsteps that he left for me, it, it's left quite an impression on me in terms mm -hmm. of, just knowledge and education and, mm -hmm. and, and it's, it's really left this legacy of exploration and really want to learn, um, you know, uh, one of the areas that you and I are, um, you know, we've talked a lot about is, is this area of mindfulness and, you know, you brought up earlier that I'm in a corporate environment. So yeah, I, I do um, make a living in, in the corporate world, but, uh, I've always tried to bring mindfulness uh, into into this as well, just partly because of this legacy that you left left me, and and then, and then also because of the value that it's um, provided and, and the skills it's it's been able to give me to navigate and cope um, challenging situations in life. So, yeah, the legacy I'd say is is really really strong in this early way I wanted to reject my heritage and be this all-American kid. And then, you know, I would say right around uh, my sophomore year in college, I really started to maybe have more of appreciation for, for this same heritage and, and started to dig in. That's actually when I started to consider yoga. Um, so I, you know, dabbled around with it. And then, um, you know, I just kind of left it alone. It didn't leave enough of an impression on me, yoga nor mindfulness at that point. It wasn't until, um, you know, an injury, I was, you know, an athlete as a kid and, and had a, you know, a car accident or two, you know, going all the way up to the point of, you know, right about the time of, I was probably maybe 30, 35 and used to run a lot. And, you know, long story short is, you know, physically, I just didn't feel as, as vigorous as I should at that age. And, and the, the one thing that actually seemed to work was yoga. And so um, I, I dug in, um, I practiced yoga on a regular basis and, and got a lot from it physically. So I didn't get the mental, you know, spiritual side of yoga. And it wasn't really something that really gravitated to me anyway. Um, it was the physical component. But then as I dug in and, and really came to appreciate yoga and then later meditation and mindfulness, um, I, I really started to, to try to take more and more of that in. So it was right about, um, I think it was 1999 or 2000, I dove in really deep and, and made yoga, a, a, you know, a, a pillar of my life. And, um, and then later, in, in when I moved back east, 
um, I ended up going down the path of, of yoga teacher training just because I wanted to dig in deeper for my own personal sense and practice. And all of this, I credit to my father because I never would have gone down this path or I don't think I would have gone down this path had I not had that, that influence that he left for me. Yeah, no, I'm, I feel that. And, and I, I get that. And I'm, 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 st- I, <sighs> I, I'm, I guess I'm kind of, st- I'm stunned in, in a way of, you know, the signature of a life can be as influential as the life itself. Like how profound that is. The, the, um, I mean, obviously there's the genetic legacy, the, all the deep imprinting that happened in your, in your, you know, toddlerhood and babyhood and, and those things that, that tra- get transmitted into the body. But even still, like, I like how you, you know, milk that in a sense, like found milk from things to nourish the father longing, the understanding of, you know, who my father is, was, what he means to me, you know, and what I can learn from him. And even in those gaps, you found, you, you found a way. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know how to explain this, but I just feel like, um, I anchored to it, you know, so while I didn't grow up with a father, I anchored to who he was and what he left for me, even though he wasn't there physically. And, and a huge part of that anchoring was this, you know, this, this heritage, which then became more of a fascination also about just India itself. And what about like his parents and, and, and more family members from that lineage or that side of your, your, your lineage? Such a uh, good question too. I love this question. So, uh, you know, two, two cultures collide, you know, with my mom and my dad coming together. Well, two cultures also collide when, when the father passes and, you know, culturally the children are supposed to be raised alongside and with the father's parents. And my mom wasn't going to move to India you know, so we were actually supposed to go to India when he was alive. He was going to write his third doctoral thesis around um, the urbanization of of Indian cities based on Western economics. The foresight in that particular thesis is incredible. I mean, <laughs> this is 1970, 71. He's thinking this. Well, this is actually earlier than that. This is okay. more like 1969, maybe. I mean, I guess if you're smart, you just see these things coming, but it seems so prescient right now. Yeah, you know, it's so funny. So Jeff, one of these legacies that he left me was a, like, think of this old school, like 1950s style suitcase, black, and it's got like this tattered leather and it's kind of square looking. As a child, I found this suitcase and my mom had placed a lot of documents in there in, in, in some of those documents included um, imagine if you will, like a, a, a legal yellow kind of pad. And, and it was his handwriting, like handwritten outline of this thesis. So the only reason why I really knew what he was writing about is as this kid flipping through these, these notes and like reading through and what he you know framed up in terms of what he wanted to write about and what he was going to research and what he was going to do. And, that was uh, that was really fascinating to me. Even at a really young age, I was trying to understand some of the stuff, but it just left this impression on me. Yeah, so to tie it back to where I was going, we were supposed to move to India for two years. That's when he was going to, you know, immerse us in his culture and his family, and and um, you know, he was going to do this work. 
and we we're going to be there for a few years and then come back. Well, you know, this, this crazy incident in life where we get this car accident takes place and, and all of that kind of was pushed aside and obviously didn't take place. But, but then our family, my dad's side of the family wanted us to come to India and that's where, you know, you know, things were going to take place from there. Like dad's parents were going to take care of us and we were going to, my mom was not going to have any part of that. She didn't want to move to India. And so there was a falling out between um, the different sides of the family. I want to falling out is maybe too strong of a word, just disagreement. And, and so we lost um, some of the connectivity to my, my father's side of the family, not completely, but it just wasn't the same. I think there's a third collision of cultures here and that is America. Yes. Right. So, so you have two immigrant parents and you're kind of like, ah, I'm kind of somewhat not into my heritage. I'm not that interested. I'm going to be this American boy kid, you know, and, and yet it comes back and back again. And so I, I'm also just appreciating that three or four of the interviews I've had have actually been immigrant stories, the children of immigrants and the way immigration happens in America and, and the impact on the kids and the situations. So it's, it's interesting that you have that as well. I, I guess my, 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 what I'm becoming curious about is, um, what am I becoming curious about? I, I want to actually go back to the moment, actually, if I was really honest, where I lost the train of thought. I lost my train of thought when you were the kid looking at the yellow pad with a thesis on it. And I'm sitting there trying to appreciate that moment in your life when you're what age and you're trying to conceive of your dad's advanced intellectual capacity and how that experience was for you. Well, I'll tell you, Jeff, this is, um, you know, you're a good interviewer because this is, this is another good question. This, this magic suitcase, because that's kind of what it was for me, is I would open this thing up and I would flip through these papers. Not only were there like these, these handwriting areas of this thesis that he was writing about, but there was also all these documents from various universities that wanted him to come teach or where he had been a guest lecturer or he was looking at in terms of, you know, where we might settle so he could do what he wanted to do, which was form uh, the College of Anthropology and the College of Sociology and, and start that at a small college that didn't have that today. And yeah. so that's ultimately what he did. We moved to um, Oregon and um, there's a, a college, small college there called Oregon College of Education it's now Western Oregon College, and he founded those two those two schools, the uh, School of Anthropology and School of Anth uh, and Sociology. It, well, actually, one of the memories I've already shared with you was were all these books, right? These books. Yes. When I say books, I'm not. I mean, it's like an entire library. There's there are thousands of books, and um, and so I just have this these really really clear and distinct memories of the books, the suitcase pictures. And then, um, you know how you'll see in some, you know, shops where you'll see like the brass, um, figurines and things like that, that you would see from, from India, you know, um, you know, the goddess Devi or something like that. So these were all these, these anchor points that I had that, that had like captivated my attention and, you know, my thinking at times. And so when I would go downstairs, I would look at this suitcase I would flip through all these documents. I would see things in there like my dad um, came over and, 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 and spent time at the Institute of World Affairs in Canning, Connecticut. And I'm thinking as a, a young kid, what is this? What does this mean? 
you know, what does the University of South Carolina mean? What does the University of Wisconsin mean? What does the University of Chicago mean and Elmhurst? You know, there's all these, these different interesting, you know, areas that I could dig into from within the suitcase. And these were all like moments of time in my dad's life. So um, the, the yellow, the, you know, legal pad paper was just one collection of papers of many within the magic suitcase. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's just great. It's like a dream. It's like a symbol from a dream. That's like, there's, there's just so much energy, you know, even though his physical presence wasn't there, there's so much energy and accomplishment. I mean, 36 and to have done so much and so much energy and that there was a way for you to access it. I love that. Yeah. I was going to say one more thing that's, um, so, you know, he emigrated from India. Uh, he went, so he, he went to uh, St. Xavier's University, which is this um, really, really old, very prestigious university, liberal arts university in Mumbai, which at the time was Bombay. And he graduated first in his class. And I remember again, once again, in, in the suitcase, I'm finding these things and I'm just fascinated by this stuff. And I see him wearing a cricket uniform and he, you know, he's a cricket player. He's on the cricket team. You know, there's all this stuff that's also associated with theology and religion. Mm-hmm. So um, a, a very, very distinct memory I have is, you know, as part of my dad's studies in both sociology and anthropology, he explored religion. Mm-hmm. And um, if you, uh, if you recall, you know, uh, the Hare Krishna uh, movement here in the U.S. We had these orange robes, you know, that was, that was in, in, you know, in a closet. Um, but we, you know, here we went to this, this Catholic university in, in India and a Catholic um, high school, St. Mary's high school in India. And then, and then there's this aspect of being raised for a while as Presbyterian. I mean, I'm, I'm painting this picture because I was confused <laughs> he was thoroughly confused. I, I want to know about the robes. Was he like a closet bhakti? Did he like have like this uh, Krishna devotee yeah. part of him? So what he did was he immersed himself and the family in these traditions. And so as a child, this is another legacy my father left for me was I was confused about religion and spirituality in general. And, you know, I don't remember all of you know the experiences in that, in that respect, but I remember the seeing the information that came from that, the robes, um, the pictures of, you know, you, you know, like an article of him being published in, you know, in, in, in India doing some Catholic relief effort. And, you know, so there was just this really kind of strange amalgamation of, of, uh, influence from a theological perspective. And, uh, a lot of which I've researched on my own, you know, later in life, trying to figure out why was he doing this and mm-hmm. what, what led him down this path. And then now how is that impacting me? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to kind of take this back to the whole yoga and mindfulness thing is, you know, the one place where I found the most um, respite was, is, is, is yoga. I mean, I, I, I got into yoga because of what it gave me from, from my experience mm-hmm from a, not, not only a physical level, but a spiritual level as well. And then took that and explored it deeper into understanding some of the neuroscience of mindfulness. And that's kind of actually when you and I met was, was doing this, this exploration into the neuroscience of mindfulness, which for me was an offshoot of yoga. 
Um, so anyway, all this kind of is this, this, these inputs from my father. Yes. I had to glean legacy. Yeah. You had, you had to do a little extra work and there was no one there to resist in a way too, or fight with, which is different. I know when my dad passed, it's like, okay, any fight I had with him was done. It was a weird change because it's like, what, 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 who are you going to struggle with now if I'm going to have a struggle? Um, but I want to look at just father figures and I guess I'll lead with the question of, you know, even though your father was there and there was this magic suitcase, was there also a hole? And and, and what did you do with that? And where did other men come in, in your life to help you with that? Yeah, there's definitely still a hole. I often, you know, I've I've even been asked this question. I've even thought of it quite quite frequently as a kid and even in, in adulthood is it, if I could have a conversation with one person and it's anybody, it's, it's obvious. It's my dad. I'd love to have this conversation that I was never able to have. So what would, what would, what would you ask him? Do you know, have you thought that far? Well, first of all, I want to see if he had like this English Oxford accent. (laughs) (laughs) So there's Um, no like recordings of his lectures, anything you've come across. Yeah. So there, there, there's one recording um, and I haven't listened to it yet. So it's, it's also part of the magic of yet to come. So okay. there's, uh, my mom gave me a, a reel to reel. It's a recording. It's a, it's a video of, of my father. And this is where this is kind of crazy, but I'm afraid to take it to get it digitized because I'm afraid they're going to destroy it. And at the same time, I need to get it digitized so I can watch it. And I don't even know if it includes sound, frankly, but, but you so, know, I can just say, yeah, go. I do have this, this hole, but I don't feel it, uh, it, the pain from that hole. It, it's just, it's yeah. unknown, right. There's not a lot of pain that's associated with that. I, I'd say my, my older brother has a little bit of pain from it because he actually experientially has things to remember where it is, I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I have my imagination. He has his experiences. Yeah. And, and so there's, there's, it's kind of an interesting dichotomy there. Ask me the question again. I mean, I so, so, you know, you said, yeah, there's a hole. It doesn't, doesn't cause pain. I mean, just to, 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 I mean, some of my wisdom in learning life, and I was talking about this in another conversation the other day, which is that, you know, one thing that I realized is where my, my wound with my father is, is where he is in me. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, that the actual place that I felt hurt by him is also the place where he penetrated into my soul, as it were, it's a point of communication. It's actually an access point to the relationship. So I, the wound or the hole or the, the, the loss is in the hurts or are points of actually connection. Yeah. So I was just saying, well, what did you do with that part? Who came in and, and buffered that or, or brought love to that or filled out that sense that he wasn't able to because of that tragedy? Yeah, you know, that's a good question. So I had two uh, men in my life that became father figures. So yeah. my best friend, um, Chris, growing up, um, I met him in the second grade. And and he and I um, became really good, good, close friends all through high school. And, and his father was, uh, and his mom too, um, but his parents really kind of took me in. We were, we had the kind of relationship where every weekend there was a sleepover. I was either at his house or he was at mine. And yeah. most of the time it was so over. This is your house. fishing buddy, Chris, right? Yeah. One of my yeah. fishing buddies. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. One of the, one of the, the guys I would, you know, do these backpacking trips into Alpine lakes and nice. Fun. But yeah. So uh, his dad played, played that role for me. And then yeah. 
was he was he was he conscious with that like what what's your memory of him in terms of was it just like an unspoken thing or did he em- overtly embrace you kind of knowing that you needed that like how did he deal with that you know it was never spoken mm-hmm. uh, but i would say it's the latter it was more overtly like he he knew right you know here here's this this woman, Ingrid Dosa, my mom, raising these three boys, and I'm 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 his son's best friend, and, and it's kind of hard to not see the dynamic of a lot of you know wild and craziness of three boys. So I think he kind of uh, and, and, you know and he was a wonderful guy. I really love him to this day. Um, but it, it it was just something I think that just was natural and kind of innate to yeah. kind of take place. And so did he impact you in terms of like influencing you in some way similar that your dad did, or was it just that you had someone there to kind of do the things with, like, did you take from him attitudes towards life and, and how you've it's unfolded or was it just enjoying the participation and loving the relationship? I think, it, you know, it's the latter, um, but what you described it, you know, in your question, I actually got from a second father figure, you know, it was adolescence and I was growing up and there's, there, there are needs that you have at that age and, and then, um, and learnings that you get. And then when you grow up and you, as you're more, you know, um, developed, you know, mentally, you start to, you know, you know, have different needs. And, and I love, I know the story. I think I know the story you're going to, cause I think we've talked about it. But before we go there, I would love for you to name uh, your father, Chris's father. And then, so I get the name. I think it's just important to say names. Yeah. Yeah. So my, my father's name is, is Ramzan Shabadali Dosa. And um, my, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't even know if I actually heard it clearly because I don't have the like perceptions of that particular uh, vocabulary comment or letter combination. So say his name one more time. Sure. So it was Ramzan. Ramzan. Shabanali. 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 Okay, there we go. Dosa. Dosa. Great. Yeah. Ramzan. And then otherwise known as Ram. Ram. Easy. Yeah. <laughs> and Chris's father? Yeah, Chris's father. His his uh, he went by Ralph, uh, but Ralph uh, was actually two Ralph. And he huh. was Finnish. He was first generation here in the U.S. His mom and, and, and dad were from Finland and they had immigrated here. And then your other father figure that I think is where you're going to. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, gosh, uh, I put myself through college uh, attending bar. And uh, this is during the crazy, you know, crazy days of, of grunge in Seattle and, and so many stories I could tell you about that with all the bands that came to the bar. And, and were you, were you rolling long hair those days? Uh, no, but I was definitely wearing flannel shirts. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so, uh, Angelo comes in, in that uh, Angelo owned an Italian restaurant down the street on university Avenue. And so his name is Angelo, uh, Lupianas. You know, I have all these, 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 figures in my life that were also either immigrants or children of, of immigrants, first generation. And Angelo was half Italian and half Spanish. He was, uh, he was this, uh, my, one of my best friends in life, uh, actually went to work for him as a chef, but, uh, we used to call him the swarthy little man. He was just this really just, um, you know, I don't know, rough and tumble kind of guy, but at the same time, the, the, the juxtaposition of, of who this guy was and what he represented was so profound. He left home when he was eight years old, you know, and 
and he had a, a large family. His, his Do you know why? Do you know why a kid would leave at eight? Yeah. His parents both died um, and the children were left. He was the youngest of five. And um, he just had this spirit in him that he just, you know, needed to just wander. And long story short about Angelo is he left home, put himself uh, to work in restaurants um, and traveled around Europe. And, you know, he, he, he didn't leave at eight, but he, he would leave and come back. And then um, by the time he was 14, he decided he was going to set off on his own and literally left. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. But Jeff, this story is pretty awesome because he left such an influence in my life. He, he travels throughout Europe and, and decides he wants to see the rest of the world and he's in Norway and basically cons his way onto a, a merchant marine vessel, lies about his age and says he's 18 and he's not and um, travels the world as a merchant marine uh, for three years. And then uh, eventually, I mean, it, it's a classic story. It's almost too goofy, but it's true. They, they pull into New York and he sees the Statue of Liberty um, decides he's just not getting getting back on the boat and lands in New York and again finds restaurant jobs and uh, and then found his way to getting his his his, his high school equivalency equivalent. so he got his GED and then from there um, uh, showed enough aptitude he got accepted to go to NYU and gets his um, his uh, his undergrad and then his his master's in psychology okay so. Extremely well-read man. Like my father, Angelo is this guy uh, in his restaurant had piles of books everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he was, he was such a well-read man. And yet at the same time, he's kind of this crass individual. If you can imagine growing up without learning your manners, that's basically him. So he used to come down to the bar where I work. And right as I'm about to close, he would roll in take up a seat at the bar and, and basically, is it okay to swear? Absolutely. Shit. Fuck guy. Get me my fucking coffee, dude. (laughs) (laughs) What is uh, his, his uh, shit. Fuck guy. Give me my coffee, dude. (laughs) Yeah. He would show up and ask for his coffee and then also his his snifter of cognac and want to sit and talk. I mean, here he's, he's winding down from running this restaurant and he's, you know, wanting to just, you know, slowly wind down and chit chat with me and, and, and have his drink and his coffee. And, um, you know, so it, your, your first impression, of course, we felt more offended and like irritated by him. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. But, but, but at the same time, you, you, you talk about authenticity. This guy was about, you know, when you think of the word authenticity, it, this guy exudes authenticity. You know, he, he doesn't care what he looks like, you know, his yeah. hair is disheveled, his clothing's disheveled, you know, he's got a cigarette hanging out of the side of his mouth with an uh, <laughs> and then the ash, the ash breaks off of his cigarette and drops onto the bar and he doesn't care. It's just, you know, he's just a dirty, <laughs> little man. But at the same time, intelligence that he exuded was mm. just, it was extraordinary. Yeah. And so I was fascinated by him because we'd have these, these really amazing conversations and, and eventually I found my way down to his restaurant. I was like, you know what? I got to find out who this guy really is and, and yeah. see what his restaurant's really like. And I mean, it was only like four or four or five blocks from where my, the bar was where I was working. And I started to go in and just hang out with him and learn from him. Um, he had yeah. so much information and so much knowledge to share. I was fascinated by it. And he became a father figure to me. Did he have his own sons or children? He, he had his own, he had two daughters and then, um, uh, you know, after I knew him, he remarried and had a daughter or excuse me, a son. 
So, but that, that was really strange too, because he, uh, he wasn't the best father. He, you know, I think it had a lot to do with his own life, you know, growing up without parents um, at an early, such an early age, much like myself. And then, you know, having this really just quite extraordinary life at such a young age of traveling the world and then having to fend for himself and, and all these things that are kind of primal and then exploratory at the same time um, were kind of manifesting in him. And then the other thing that, that is so present or was so present with him was his, um, his, his level of knowledge. Every time I walked into his restaurant, he was there, the cigarette was sticking out of his mouth. Yeah. There was a cup of coffee and a pile of books and his, and his nose was planted in a book. It, he, he read, you know, all the time. It was, it was what he did. And then when he couldn't read, it was because he had to work and it was because he had to serve his, you know, his customers. So, you know, it, it, he's kind of an odd father figure in some. Do you think you were a, a son figure for him as it were? Absolutely. And how did he find you? Like, okay, so he has all this knowledge, you know, he has this character to him and these stories to tell. And obviously he shared them cause you know him, but how did he find you? Like, what did he bless you with? And if it was particular to you or was he just telling the stories and he was there to just share and give? You know, um, he was so um, astute when it came to reading people. Um, and he was, he was so sharp with his tongue. Um, even though he's speaking English in his second language, you know, he spoke Italian, Spanish and, and English. And I think he spoke some French too, if I remember correctly. He wanted to pass on his knowledge and he saw me as, as somebody who took interest in his experience and also what he had to share. You know, there are, I mean, a thousand or more nights where I went down to his restaurant and would stay in and play chess with him and drink red wine. And could you beat him in chess? Yeah, he kicked my ass. <laughs> I felt that was coming. I kind of yeah. was guessing that. Yeah. <laughs> I beat him twice. And okay. I'm, I'm almost certain he let me win those two times. So literally a thousand nights. If not more. I mean, that's amazing. A period of my life where there was probably, I would say a solid three or four years you know, I, I was working five, six, sometimes seven days a week. And, and I would close down the bar and then go down to his restaurant or he would close down his restaurant and come up to the bar. I really took interest in, you know, just hanging out with him because it was one, it was free food too, right here. He's got the restaurant, <laughs> free food. You're in college. Food. Perfect. But at the same time, I had this, this, this kind of interest in learning how to cook. And, and this is a, this is a guy who is for the most part, most nights of the week was a one man show. I mean, people would come to the door, he would greet them, he would seat them, and then he would go back and, and he would start doing his cooking. You know, some nights I'd be down there hanging out and, you know, just, you know, eating bread and dipping it in, in olive oil and drinking red wine or, or having a cup of coffee or an espresso. And, and he would go, shit, fuck Alex, come back here. I need your help. You know, I would go back there and I'm in this kitchen. I'm like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And so he would, he would, he slowly taught me how to, to help him out. And a lot of that was just learning. Kitchen work, kitchen work. That's great. So was he, did he take an interest in what you were going through? Did he like, you talk about your relationships or your schooling or was he more just delivering his knowledge to you? No, all the above. I mean, he, okay, took, good. he took a tremendous interest in women I was dating and, and advice from a fatherly perspective. He took Beautiful. Sometimes people just want to have their stories heard. 
No, in fact, it was the opposite. I would want to have him tell me stories and he wouldn't necessarily just volunteer them. We would just get into a conversation and I would pull it out of him. He was more interested in me and what I was doing in my life. You know, he didn't want me to be a fuck up. Was that a possibility for you at that point? Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, when you're, when you're working in a bar during um, the heyday of the grunge music, you know, and the Seattle supersonics were doing well. I mean, it was a, it was an epic time to be in Seattle and I made a, a, a lot of money behind the bar and, you know, the life of a bartender bar manager is, is a short one. You know, if you're, if you're partaking and, you know, he yeah. saw that I had a lot of potential, never once said it, but I could tell he was worried that I was going to just, you know, throw away my education. The reason why I was there and, and throw it away for a job in a bar. Um, he was good to you, man. He was really good to you. Yeah. And he was, there's, there's a good and the bad side of Angelo. There's no so yeah. So the bad, I'm kind of curious about a little bit about the shadow, if they want to share anything about that. Um, but I'm also curious, like how did that run you had with Angelo come to an end? Well, the, the run came to an end because he passed away. So, so that was, that was ultimately how it came to an end, but it, it, the premature end to it was, uh, I finally meet my wife, uh, after, uh, and now my ex-wife, but so I left Seattle because I get a job opportunity and the job opportunity takes me to San Francisco. And while I was in San Francisco, I met a woman, um, you know, we, we, uh, we moved back to the Northwest, you know, had a stop in Portland then made our way back to Seattle. And then, so Angelo enters the scene again on a regular basis because I'm going back down there and, and seeing Angelo every now and again, where all of my friends, my extended network of friends, through me all started to go down to Angela. So it was a very social, um, you know, he was core to my social life too, at that point. Wow. Um, th- there's a shadow side of Angelo too. I mean, Angelo had, um, he had his own demons, you know, and I think a lot of those demons came from, again, this, this childhood that he had. And then, then this life of living like a feral life for a while, frankly, and, and you know, and, and that, that leaves an imprint in you and, and how you, you know, socialize and how you conduct yourself and, and life. And, um, but, uh, yeah, there was, it was just a really interesting experience yeah. in, knowing, in knowing Angelo and my friends knowing him too. Yeah. So were you in town when he passed away? He always used to say when he, when it was time for him to go, that he was going to go his own way. He would occasionally talk about, you know, I'm going to, I'd sell the restaurant and I would buy a boat and I would take the boat and I would just, you know, sail around until I don't want to sail anymore and then just end it. That he literally would talk in terms like that. It was a kind of a strange conversation to have, um, not being, you know, you know, really in tune with how how desperate that sounds and how 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 dark that sounds. But he didn't look at it in a dark way because, you know, to tie it all together, he was extremely spiritual in some respects as well. And he believed in many lives. He believed in in past lives. He believed in future lives and. And um, he did a long stint in Scientology. Um, so there's all these just weird dynamics that kind of come together with Angelo that make him who he is. For me, I would always have like a, a wall that I would put up and say, I'm not going to cross that. That's that, that line or that wall with Angelo, it, it needs to be there to keep things healthy. But, but all that said, he was an extremely powerful influence in my life. Yeah. I recognize the darkness and I recognize the extreme light that he brought to. Hey, you know, one thing I want to, uh, you know, this is about fatherhood and fathering yeah. and, and that, you know, with my daughter, uh, my daughter, Sydney, um, 
all of these people have had an influence on me in terms of how I am as a father, starting obviously with my own. Um, I had this deep rooted feeling that because I grew up without a father, there's no way in hell that I could possibly ever be a father. So I, I carried that, that thought with me for um, a long, a long time, well into my, into my thirties. I mean, I was probably about 30, maybe 32 years old when, um, you know, I was still resisting, you know, at this point in time, I'm married and my ex wanted to have children. And I was, I was against having children. I was just in fear of being a father and just that fear of that. Turns out I'm going to brag a little bit. I'm, I think I'm a pretty fucking good dad. But. Nice. So how did you get from fear of father to being a, a pretty fucking good dad? Trial by fire, first of all. So, so we, my, my ex and I, um, we, you know, we're married. We have, we have Sydney. And then um, we left Portland for uh, Westchester, Pennsylvania. I took a job back there. Uh, um, I'm a young father. The marriage ended up started, it started to dissolve. And so we ended up getting divorced. You know, it kind of compressed the story a little bit. I ended up fighting pretty hard in court and, and winning custody or primary custody of Sydney. And then um, you know, all of a sudden, you know, responsible for this beautiful, just amazing human being um, named Sydney Dosa. And um, at the same time, it was really scary because I had no family, no, no close relatives uh, within 3000 miles, you know? So anyway, I, I was thrust into this situation where I was already, you know, a new father, um, not necessarily, you know, prior to that feeling confident about being a father um, and then thrust into uh, raising her by myself. And so I raised Sydney by myself from the time she was um, basically five, you know, four and a half, five um, until she was um, 11. It was an amazing experience. It, 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 it's again, it, there's a, a darkness to it and there's a lightness to it. The, the lightness outweighs the darkness, you know, tenfold. Um, just a beautiful, beautiful father-daughter um, experience. I, I love her more than you can put into words. Is that, is that the time you found your confidence when you just had to fly solo? Yeah, it was, you know, um, the, the confidence came from a, a, a number of different places, right? So I had these, these three previous father figures who, who ultimately helped me to, to have a sense of confidence anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, um, you, you know, I became a fairly social guy over, over time and, and was able to build a, a, a decent network of friends and the, the caring of uh, nurturing of people is really beautiful in, in, in Westchester, Pennsylvania. There are a lot of, uh, of folks I can, um, you know, say so many good things about because they saw me here, you know, thrust into the situation of being a, a single father mm-hmm. and, and needing help. So, um, it's yeah. so amazing community, you know, and that, that, I mean, just like how community can and often does fill in those gaps, especially around family systems. It's really beautiful. Definitely. You're, the, the comment made about family systems absolutely applies here. So you find your confidence, you have this community, you have these three lineages that help you. And yet you still have a lot, a lot in front of you. It's, you said at times it's heavy. It's a lot of work. It's, um, you know, you're on your own with it. Well, it, it became less heavy because I, I had this realization and the realization comes now, come, come back full circle to the heritage that my dad left me is I, I became extremely 
interested in, in how to just let go and just accept. Can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. I would love to, because this is actually something I, I like to teach myself now. And, you know, I, I teach these, uh, these two day workshops on the neuroscience of mindfulness qualities of emotional intelligence. And um, I'll admit, I didn't have the most emotional intelligence um, leading up until this point in time. And I had to... (laughs) Totally. I mean, really, I mean, there's some people who are gifted, but I think if I was honest, I, I, first of all, I think emotional intelligence is a fluid thing based on our conditions. Uh, Maturity is part of that condition and development. I still feel like I am learning to be more emotionally intelligent or what I like to say also stress intelligence because I think they're deeply wed. But so you're not that emotionally intelligent at that point and you're, you're learning this thing, which you, I think you said is letting go. Yeah. Did you say letting go? Yeah. And and so, you know, um, like people that are thrust into the situation I am, if they're smart, they actually, they, they, they get help. And, you know, so I went and and found a a really good therapist Mm -hmm. To really kind of talk through and digest a lot of what was going on. And a lot of it was um, early on, it was for survival. Once I got past the survival phase, it was about how do we come, how do I become the best human being and the best father that I can? Uh, this this, uh, this amazing uh, therapist, Dominic Carnuccio, back in Westchester, Pennsylvania, uh, I spent a lot of time with him. That, along with the mindfulness, um, along with my own absolute interest in, in learning um, took me to this place of, of developing a lot more emotional intelligence. And so, you know, um, I, uh, I, I really kind of immersed myself for a long time, years, just independently trying to understand what is it, um, what is it like to actually just accept and, and, and let everything else fall away and not worry about the things you can't control anymore and really just focus in on those things that truly deserve your energy and your time and your attention. And so I really took that to heart and I tried to, you know, do what I call getting light. And what getting light means is letting lightening the load, getting rid of the stuff, the rocks and the boulders, if you will, that you're carrying around because you feel like you need to, but are that create a sense of freedom when, when you let them go. And so for me, the, the things that I needed to carry, I was so dedicated to my own personal health, both mental, physical, spiritual, those three, the combination of those three, I was, I was intent on if I can become more healthy, greater well-being, then I'm going to be the best father I could possibly be to this daughter. And um, so I became extremely extremely driven by understanding a lot of different things, starting with the human brain and psychology. And, and I, I I believe it's made me who I am in a number of ways, not only my father in terms of the legacy he left me, but the, 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 the imprint and impression that, that uh, Ralph left on me as a, as a younger, you know, adolescent. And then, and then um, Angelo, you know, college, post-college, and then they now all of a sudden, hey, you know what? The right of, of passage to being a father and, and true manhood um, uh, and, and that experience that I had to live and still live to this day. And, mm-hmm. and, and I still live with a tremendous mm-hmm. sense of gratitude, you know, yeah. practices. Yeah. You know, I, I had all the reasons in the world to hate, to hate what was going on. And all these things were done to me versus, 
hey, you know what, this is a, a tremendous education I'm getting at the same time. And I, yeah. I learned to really rely on gratitude. Like, look at those things in my life that I was extremely grateful for, my health, my daughter and her health, and, and these opportunities to learn. And, and so, you know, from a fathering perspective, while I'm not like some wise old sage, I do feel like my life experience has given me the ability now to father, if you will, or provide, you know, mentoring or, or just influence on other human beings, um, given, given what I've gone through. And, and so for me, my way of giving back in life is, is actually to try to take some of this informal education and then my formal education and, and, and actually try to, uh, you know, enable people to, to develop some of these skills to navigate life more skillfully. Um, I don't, I don't really want people to have to go through some of these crazy events that I've gone through and there are more that I haven't shared. Um, but, but I do feel like that it, it, you know, I'm kind of in this position now where I need to be able to share this back in a kind of a father-like role and in a father-like way. Beautiful. And you said something before I asked you to drop into, and I really like the way you not only talked about the context of letting go, but you talked about your core practice of acceptance and getting lighter, but you were also said something to come full circle with your father. And I'm not sure if you got to that point. Did you, did you articulate that? What was the full circle? You know, the full circle with my father was, you know, when I'm going through this, this crazy experience of having a marriage dissolve and, you know, crazy financial situation, you know, with the economy and a, and a house that needs payment and, and, and all these, 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 these extraneous factors, I took this time during that period of time to really dive in at this point and try to get to know who my dad was even more. Cause I, I felt like it was a, a pillar of strength or an anchor that I could, I could latch onto during a, a tremendously challenging time where I didn't really feel like I had a whole lot of solid footing. And, and that solid footing came from thinking about this heritage that my dad left me and these practices that my dad left me through his influence and who he was. I'm, I'm grateful. I'm always grateful, but I'm, I'm grateful for you today to share your amazing stories. You're a great storyteller and you have some stories and, um, but the coherence of your stories, you know, the, the weave between your father and your heritage and your work life. I mean, you have a very coherent narrative that you're living. It's uh... I never really thought of it that way. <laughs> I mean, you do. It's like you're not fragmented. I mean, maybe we're all a little fragmented, but in this particular part, in this particular part, in terms of your journey around your father, um, there's a very coherent coherency in your understanding of who he is and how you've worked with him and the and the other men that have come in your life and what they've given you and the limitations and your own journey and, and, uh, and how those things have converged. And it's not the first time I've been in a, a, a one of these conversations in this series and, and seen almost like an organic impulse towards healing. Oh gosh. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? And, and yeah. not only that, the way, life conspires to support those impulses towards healing and the way pain and struggle 
alert someone to the need for that healing. And um, that's my, my deepest impression in addition to my gratitude for you. Well, one last comment on that. You know, it, it, it's mindfulness for me, and I, I believe others too, that allows for this, this sense of openness and curiosity in, in the present moment. And if, if we live our lives that way, then, then it, it completely changes our mindset. Mm-hmm. And when our mindsets change um, and we remove the filters that would normally be there because we truly are present, um, I think it changes the course of life. I, I know for certain that it's changed the course of, of my life. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please follow us on your favorite streaming platform and share our podcast with your community and friends. All music is composed by the incredible Chase Jackson at chasejacksonmusic.com. To learn more about this show, our guest, as well as Jeffrey and his work helping people find peace with their human nature, go to howhumanswork.us.com.